You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? Uh, As you can tell, if you normally listen to that one time on tour, this is different. This is a bonus episode. Uh, I do this periodically. I do other podcasts once in a while that aren't my own podcast. And I had the honor of going on my friend Deanna Chapman's podcast called Welcome to Geekdom. You can check that out at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. And uh, I got to chat about one of my favorite movies of all time, the legendary Back to the Future. Uh, we had a really good time chatting about Back to the Future. It was it was kind of weird because I figured, oh, I'm going to go on this podcast and and you know I'm going to be talking to someone else that's a geek about Back to the Future. But Deanna was new to the trilogy, and uh, I, I had to school her on a couple things with the movies. But I had an awesome time. I've known Deanna for a while. She used to work at my old network, Jabberjaw. And uh, she now works for Finn McKinty over at the Punk Rock NBA. She does some editing and some producing. And she's awesome. She's got a couple different podcasts. And Welcome to Geekdom is an awesome podcast. Uh, They do stuff about everything you can geek out over. TV shows and music and movies. So you got to check that out. At Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. So, like I said, this is a bonus episode. I'm just going to go ahead and play the interview. This is her kind of chatting with me about my favorite movie, Back to the Future. If you came here hoping to hear from a punk rock star, a punk rock legend, uh, that's not what this episode is. But it's a lot of fun. And if you are, you know, of the age that I am, maybe, you know, between your middle 30s to middle 40s, Back to the Future probably meant a big thing to you. It was probably a big deal to you. I can recite all three movies pretty much line for line. So uh, I had a really good time doing this. This is a bonus episode. This is my appearance on Deanna Chapman's podcast, Welcome to Geekdom, where we discuss the legendary Back to the Future. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I'm joined by a brand new guest, Chris Swinney from That One Time on Tour and formerly of the Ataris. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. I'm I'm stoked to be on a podcast that is not my podcast. So thank you for asking. Of course, I know how you feel. I'm so often doing my podcast that I'm like, oh, what's it like to be a guest? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot less work, probably yep. not for you since you are hosting, but yeah, I... I enjoy when I get to go on other shows because I don't do the research. I just, I, I open up the Zoom call and I'm ready to go. So I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So today we are talking all about Back to the Future. This is an episode I've actually wanted to do for a while. I've only seen the first movie to my recollection. I've seen it two or three times now. And so I have, you know, two and three up in the queue next for <laughs> getting to those and seeing how those turn out. But this came out 1985, directed by Robert Zemeckis. I hope that's how you pronounce that. That is how you pronounce it, yes. You know, to just dive right in, the cast is pretty fun for this movie. You have Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly, Christopher Lloyd as the perfect Doc Brown, basically. I can't imagine anyone <laughs> else in that role. You have Leah Thompson as Lorraine, Crispin Glover as George, and those two are Marty's parents. And then you have... Thomas F. Wilson as Biff the Bully, as I like to call him. You have Claudia Wells, Mark McClure, and Wendy Jo Sperber. And those are kind of your main characters. There are people who pop in and out, but never long enough to like really focus on those characters. And even, you know, Claudia Wells as Jennifer, she's not in it all that much. No, and I'll tell you, I mean, this kind of might be jumping forward, but when you watch Back to the Future 2, you're going to notice that Elizabeth Shue takes over the role of Jennifer and Claudia Wells is no longer a part of the universe. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, we'll kind of dive into the story here in a second. But I think this cast, 
was very strong. I don't know how well known all of them were at the time, but obviously Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd have had big careers. Crispin Glover and Thomas F. Wilson kind of just pop in for a lot of things. They do, I think, mostly character roles, it seems. And I'm not 100% sure what Leah Thompson's been in, but I'm like, she has been in stuff that I have seen. (laughs) Well, she was in Howard the Duck. I don't know if you've seen Howard the Duck. If not, you need to watch that. She was actually in, I mean, she was a, you know, a kid star. She was in quite a lot of stuff. I think some TV stuff and a lot of movies before Back to the Future. So I think if I'm not mistaken, she was third billing under Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in like the credits and whatnot. That makes sense because the order I type them into our fancy little Google Doc here is I think the order they were billed in for the most part. I kind of just grabbed the top build and, you know, a couple others and went from there. But Michael J. Fox gives a very charismatic performance in this. And Christopher Lloyd gives sort of that wild-eyed, crazy doctor (laughs) performance. And obviously, he's not a doctor doctor. He's a scientist. So I think that played really well into the story as a whole. I One thing also, like, I didn't realize that you've barely seen this and that you haven't seen the other two. So I feel like I'm kind of more of an expert than I thought I was. Originally, Michael J. Fox was not cast. They shot half the movie with, uh, what is the guy's name? Eric, Ro- not Eric Roberts. Oh, I can't remember the guy's name, but a different actor. Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, yeah. And they did, there's basically half a movie with him playing Marty that you can watch online. Oh, that's crazy. Literally, like they did half the movie and, or at least, you know, they don't do it in order. They did half of the shots with him and the director and everybody didn't really like his performance and they tried to get Michael J. Fox and they got him. So they scraped everything and reshot everything with Michael J. Fox. Wow. And it would be a completely different movie. Eric Stoltz is great, but- if you go back and watch those shots and then you, you know, you know the movie the way you know it, it would have been completely different. The chemistry was different between Christopher Lloyd and him and all the other characters as well. And yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be a fun episode because I, I, I didn't realize you were sort of a newbie to this, to this universe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had seen it a while back, but it was probably so long ago that I didn't even really remember that I had watched it. So watching it again, I was like, okay, I remember this part and this part and some of this stuff. But the fact that they did this on a budget of $19 million too, given what you just said about doing all of those reshoots, because anytime people hear the word reshoots, they kind of freak out and they're like, oh no, what happened? What went wrong with the production of this movie? Because we've seen it happen with really, really big movies. You know, Solo went through that for Star Wars. A bunch of the superhero movies go through that. I think The New Mutants is probably one of the more recent examples and it kind of got shelved for so long that people were like, is this even going to come out? And so to find that out, it actually is pretty amazing that they were able to get this done and still on such a small budget. I know that's a lot of money for the 80s, but it made like 330 something million at the box office. So they definitely had a hit on their hands. Well, I mean, if you look back at it too exponentially since it came out over 30 years ago, it's got to be one of the top 10 or top five, like most highest grossing movies. I mean, with the, with the DVD sales, Blu-ray, everything. I mean, any time you can flip through channels and it's normally on some channel. So when it goes into syndication like that, I mean, it's, it's a huge movie. And I will tell you the sequels. I am a fan of sequels. I think sometimes they do it right. A lot of the times they do it wrong. My, my estimation, what I say on the sequels is I really like the third one. The second one was a big commercial for the third one, pretty much. But they were also filming both of the sequels like at the same time, pretty much. So, and I mean, another thing you were talking about casting, Michael J. Fox in 1985 was one of the largest stars on television that you could find, you know, on Family Ties. And he had had done some other movies as well. So to get him after the whole debacle with Eric Stoltz was really big. If you watch, uh, 
I'm not sure there was some documentary that I watched about the making of back to the future. And from day one, the producers, the casting and everybody director, they wanted Michael J. Fox, but he was so busy with his TV stuff and his other movies that they couldn't get him. So then when he became available, I think that kind of pushed them in the direction to get rid of the the old shots and start over. Yeah, it's always fun to see how these things come together. And I watch some of the deleted scenes and you can tell they found the footage way later because some of it was really rough. It had like the crackling on the screen. Oh, yeah. and I was like, oh my goodness, just wa- going from watching the movie because... I had bought my dad the trilogy. We had it on DVD, but it went missing somehow. And I was like, I want to watch these. You know, mostly I wanted to watch the first one for the podcast. So I think it was last year I rebought the trilogy for his birthday or something. And that's how they make a ton of money on home video, too. You know, they do the DVD box set, but then people want to upgrade to Blu ray. And so they buy the Blu ray. And They sell it as a trilogy so often. You know, I think there's a 25-year anniversary one, and now there's a 35-year anniversary one. So that's how they definitely boost their money-making on those, because they're like, you know, maybe we can't sell the second and third as well on their own. So they just box set them, and then, you know, people are going to be more likely to buy them that way, I think, just to have the complete set, even if they might not be as fond of the other two. And, you know, I hadn't really heard anything about two and three. Everyone sort of talks about the first one. And then it kind of falls off from there, which I think is common because you can say the same thing about Jaws as well. Everyone talks about the first Jaws movie, not so much two and 3D and whatever else they have (laughs) going on. Well, I mean, even movies, you know, like how old are you, by the way? 28. Okay. You're 28. So I am 42. So Back to the Future to me was one of those like kind of woodshedding like like movies that made me who I am. Right. You know what I mean? And, and movies like that for me growing up in the 90s were The Goonies. And I mean, even like 80s movies when I was young, but like The Goonies, Ghostbusters, you know, stuff like that. So when you look at Ghostbusters being another one of my favorite movies in the entire world, Ghostbusters 2... Not so much. I mean, I I still really enjoy it because it's the characters and it's the story. But standalone movies, I think the first one, because it gets you in the door, it introduces you to the characters. It really you could you could put it up against like bands. You know, when you listen to a band, that first initial record that got you into the band is normally your favorite record. You might like the other stuff better than other bands. But you always kind of have a favorite. And I think with Ghostbusters and with Back to the Future, as much as I love number two and number three in the trilogy, the first movie really has a place in my heart and I could kind of take or leave the other two movies. But when you watch them as a whole, it does kind of do something like because those characters, it's a bigger journey and there's a little bit more character development. When I said that the second one was like a commercial for the third one. It's because in the third one, you get to kind of hear more about Doc's story. Marty is in the movie. He's a main character, but the whole thing kind of revolves around Doc Brown. In the second one, there's just very little character development. It's a really good adventure, and there's time travel, and it's awesome. But in the first one, you find all out about Marty and his parents. In the second one, there's not much content there's not much deepness of anything and then the third one you find out all about doc so it's a really good trilogy but the second one is just kind of flimsy as far as the other two go got it yeah and i actually wanted to discuss sort of the various relationships that marty has in this first movie because a lot of it does center around his parents but you know the kind of twist is that he goes back in time and kind of messes up his parents meeting and falling in love and has to fix it. And I think off the bat, though, one of the things that they don't dive into a whole lot is his relationship with Doc Brown, because we see him go to, you know, the little lab kind of room that's not really a lab and then the giant speaker and, you know, music nerds probably love that moment because you're like, (laughs) Yeah, I want a speaker that big. (laughs) 
the the problem is being a guitar player and an audio engineer a speaker that big looks really cool but it would sound horrible yep <laughs> yeah like not even if you had the right amp to push it like there's no reason to have a speaker that big ever especially for a guitar if you're gonna you know a loud speaker like you're gonna announce something on a microphone that might be great but for a guitar that no. would not work <laughs> no yeah so you know it's one of those things where it looks nice not not realistic at all, yeah, but yeah. it's a nice thing to think about, you know, for some music nerds probably like, oh, what could that be like? And then you're like, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we should not have those. I I wish you're talking about the relationship. And that's one thing that always kind of bugged me because, you know, Marty is supposed to be, I don't know if he's a senior or a junior. They never really yeah. tell. I, I think he's an upper classman so he's probably not a junior like a freshman or a sophomore right so i would say 16 17 years old and his best friend is a mad scientist that lives on the edge of town who you never really find out how old he is because when you go back 30 years he looks the same <laughs> i mean there's really they really did no makeup or prosthetics or anything yeah. like his hair's white in 1955 his hair's white in 1985 they didn't even so, try to make him look younger at all <laughs> Yeah, you have no idea how he is. And the one thing that, that it always brought up this thing in my mind and you try to like make a backstory because they don't tell you a backstory. So I'm not one of the people that think, oh, it's weird that this 17-year-old's hanging out with this mad scientist, but there has to be some sort of reason that they got together, some reason that they're friends and they never they never tell you why they're friends. It's kind of strange. Yeah. And you're kind of like, okay, well, Marty obviously isn't this loner geeky kid because yeah. he, he's dating Jennifer. He's got a hot he, girlfriend. He plays yeah. in a band. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It kind of <laughs> makes no sense, but they gl they gloss over it and then just throw him back in time. So you kind of forget about it because there's a lot of time that he spends that isn't with Doc in this movie, too. You have that yeah. whole scene where, you know, s some of the language doesn't play as well today as it did back in 1985, but, you know, that's how it's going to be when you're watching older movies, and I kind of yeah. go into these things knowing that. So you have the whole scene where they're being gunned down in the parking lot. For whatever reason, I don't know if it's because they want the car at because they know it's a time machine or if doc did something else that part's not even really clear either but this movie is just so fun and it's really fast paced as well it's almost two hours yeah. long but it never feels like it you know i was watching it and i was like oh we're already almost halfway done with it <laughs> you know you're kind of like oh man i kind of wanted a little more and i think that's when you know you have a really good movie even though there are holes in the story you're willing to forget it because of how good of a time you're having while watching it yeah and and what you're talking about with like there are quick cuts the scenes don't drag on forever it's almost it's probably the best version of a movie for the youtube generation that came out in 1985 <laughs> because I mean, you get excited. My son is four years old and he can't sit through Frozen or anything like that or even an episode of Paw Patrol, but he'll sit there and watch Back to the Future with me because there's bright colors and there's a car and it just, I mean, it's, you're completely right. Like they did a really good job because when you're done with the movie, like last night, I watched it in preparation for the millionth time. <laughs> and when I was done watching it, I'm like, I feel like I just push play and that could be that I know the story so well, but I think it's also cinematography, director, editor, like all of that stuff. It just works perfectly together. I think it's a perfect movie, but I'm, I'm biased, I think, because <laughs> I grew up with it. So yeah. I saw it in the theater with my dad when I was really little. I did not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to age you, Chris. <laughs> well, no, but that's the thing. My, my wife is 29 and so we always talk about movies and she's seen a lot of the movies that I grew up with, but to her, they're just movies. And to me, it's like, right. that's my childhood. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I'm invested in the Goonies. Like it's not just a movie, you know? Yeah. And we touched on how Marty and Jennifer don't really get all that much time together. So we don't no. really get a full idea of what their relationship is like. You can tell things are going fairly well, I think at the beginning. And then 
when he returns, he's like, I haven't seen you in a week. And she's like, it's been like a day, <laughs> you know? So you have that juxtaposition there that I think makes it even more fun because Marty at the end is kind of trying to figure out what exactly happened and how long he's been gone. And it really does a nice job of taking him out of time. And then when he comes back, it's not like everything is perfectly normal. He's still kind of out of place and out of time. And I love that they weren't just like, okay, we're, we're back and that's it. You know, (laughs) they put that little twist in, but before we dive into what that twist was, I want to talk about Marty in the fifties, because you can't talk about this movie without talking about Marty in 55. You have the perfectly looking diner for the fifties. You have the costumes, which, you know, they're just regular clothes, but (laughs) For movie terms, they are costumes. And they really just nailed the whole feel of the town in the 50s. Yeah, they, uh, from what I have read and seen in different like shows and stuff, they actually built that, that whole village, or not village, that whole town of Hill Valley on the back lot of the Warner Brothers soundstage. And it's, I mean, yeah, I didn't grow up in the 50s, but everything that I've ever seen like actual footage or actual pictures from the fifties. Like they nailed it. Like it, everything was so clean and and the colors were so bright and vivid. It just, yeah, it it really does when he, you know, he goes back to the past, he crashes the car, he hides the car and he like walks into town. By the time he gets to town, the sun's up and it's like the birds are chirping and he walks into the town square and like it, it has a feeling to me like visually and kind of the way it makes you feel like if you've ever watched the wizard of Oz, when she wakes up and everything's color, right? Like it does almost change the movie, the feel of the movie, the cinematography, everything just kind of changes. And I, I've always wondered if that was kind of like something they meant. I mean, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they, they talked about it and everything, but before he goes back to 1950, you know, Hill Valley is very gritty and just looks like a normal suburban neighborhood in wherever California they're at. And when he goes back to the fifties, it's a definite shift in how everything looks and how the feel and the vibe of the movie is. You also see his neighborhood that he currently lives in being built. Lion Estates. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even being built. It's like, they just have the signs up and that's it. And they're kind of like, plowing the field to, you know, get everything level and get everything ready. So they're not even in the process of building his house that he's been living in at that point. So he kind of has this, oh, crap moment. (laughs) And he's like, I need to find Doc Brown. And it's funny, because where we see Marty at the beginning of the movie, and where he goes to find Doc Brown, it doesn't look like it's remotely the same house at all. So oh, it's you're not. starting to wonder, okay, what happened to Doc Brown to where he goes from this, you know, fairly big house. And obviously he has the garage area that, that is where he does all of his experiments. And you're just kind of like, man, something had to have happened within those 30 years that just made him lose his mind a little more because it's not that his personality is drastically changed between the two timelines. You can tell that in the 50s, it's leading up to how he is in the 80s already at that point. But to lose what he probably has owned for a while at that point, it seems because it's not like back then people really rented houses or anything like that. And people probably lost their houses a little less often because they weren't outrageously priced (laughs) as compared to today. Well, one thing that my friends and I, because I mean, the funny thing is talking to you about Back to the Future, this I've had these discussions before. They've just never been on a podcast. (laughs) So the one thing that we always talked about was what you just brought up. Like, you know, what happened? It's not like Doc Brown lives in a shitty place. in 1985 but he doesn't live in this huge like almost mansion looking place and what we kind of came up with he says a line in the first movie when they're at twin pines mall and you know einstein has been the first time traveler his dog and he tells marty he's like you know i came up with a flux capacitor it's taken me 30 years and my entire family fortune Okay. To come up to rec- to realize my vision of that day. So when you start thinking about 
you know, my, maybe there were some shots they didn't put in. Maybe there was some character development they didn't put in. But when he says that it's taken him 30 years and his entire family fortune to realize his vision of the flux capacitor, it leads you to believe that to figure out time travel and to put, you know, cause you're going to have to invest money. You're going to have to figure out all kinds of stuff. Okay. Maybe the reason he doesn't have that house anymore. Maybe it was a family house. Maybe at one point he was loaded. Now he's not loaded because he spent all his money to figure out the yeah. DeLorean. And cause I mean, he had to buy the DeLorean too. I'm sure it was pretty expensive. Yeah. Cause it, almost seems like it's something he could have built from scratch because yeah. obviously the inside of it does not look like the inside of the ones they actually sold in real life, which, yeah. you know, they're not the prettiest looking car in the world, but they yeah. did manage to sell some of them thanks to this movie. And, you know, there's obviously a whole lot of customization that went on, even if it was a car that he bought and then turned into it, or if it's something he built from scratch, especially back then, too, because I can't imagine too much of the stuff he was working with was really easy to come by. And you see at the beginning, too, what is it like the case of plutonium or something <laughs> at that Marty's skateboard rolls into and you're like, oh, boy, we're in for trouble. Yeah, yeah. They, I like how they foreshadow that. And then because, I mean, if, if he would have never told you, oh, yeah, I got it from these Libyan nationals, then you wouldn't have known, like, why the skateboard went into a big road case that says plutonium on it. Yeah. And I also really love when he's back in the 50s and, you know, skateboards hadn't been invented yet. And he just kind of gets this makeshift one off of this kid's, like, scooter that was clearly just put together with pieces of wood and random yeah. wheels they found at, like, a hardware store or something. And everyone's like, oh, cool. So... Marty is just doing things that he's used to, not really understanding the impact he's going to have while he's doing those things back in the 50s, like when he saves his dad from getting hit by his grandfather. <laughs> and yeah. it's just this whole thing that comes full circle in the end. And I really love how he has to have that meeting with Doc Brown to realize, oh, I screwed things up. And it doesn't even dawn on him when... They talk about at the dinner table how the parents met, you know, it, it takes him realizing, oh, hey, I'm at my mother's house and she is weirdly hitting on me, which is a whole other thing yeah, that yeah, you're just yeah. like, I'm really uncomfortable, but this movie's still really fun. <laughs> I just the one thing that always kind of got to me, like you were talking about how Marty He's in the 50s. He's not trying to change his behavior. I always thought the skateboard thing kind of reminded me of Forrest Gump, where he Forrest Gump puts himself into every situation, and yeah. it seems like he influences every situation. But the thing with Marty, okay, he was at Twin Pines Mall. Doc was telling him all about everything. He was documenting it. He saw Einstein, you know, go the minute into the future. He knows about 88 miles an hour. He saw him put the plutonium in. So he's being chased by the Libyan nationals. He says, let's see if you bastards can do 90. I feel like he had this big lapse of judgment. Maybe he was just really scared and he was getting away from right. the Libyan nationals. But when he hits 88, all the lights come on. He goes back to the 50s. He then acts for a while like he doesn't understand <laughs> what just happened. Right. And that's where that's the one thing in the movie that really bugs me. He's a smart kid. He was there and saw the entire demonstration. He even saw the time circuits, 1955. Everything was there. But when he gets out of that barn after the guy comes out and old man Peabody's shooting the gun at him and everything, <laughs> he acts like he honestly doesn't understand. <laughs> and I know they're just trying to like add drama and kind of take you on that story, but if it was me and I had gone through that entire evening and seen how everything worked and then I was running from those guys and I went back into the past and I'm sitting there in the car and I'm like, man, everything's different. Oh yeah, I'm in a time machine. Like I yeah. would have just understood and he never really understood until he got to town and everything's so crazy. I just, that always really bothered me that they're almost treating the viewer like they're dumb and they they have to like explain everything to you and like spoon feed it to you. Like I think they could have done it a little bit different, but that's my only bitch about the entire movie. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I would rather be shown something instead of having them 
tell you what's happening because Marty does kind of walk himself through it, thereby walking the audience through it. And you're just like, yeah, eh, okay. And the fact that no one in the 50s knew what a radiation suit looked like. I don't know how realistic <laughs> that is, but they all automatically assumed he was like from another planet, which it yeah. works really well in the scene with his dad in the bedroom because you kind of have this horror element to it. And I love the Darth Vader line. I was like, yes, okay. It makes sense that that is something that Marty would know because we were, what, eight years past the first Star Wars movie coming out. And then... yeah. It would be something that someone in the 50s would have absolutely no clue about. So I just like that little touch there. But I do agree with you that I don't like having things explained to me in the way that they explain things in this movie. It's a little bit too much exposition. You know, it's just like, I just feel like he would have, it would have been a better movie if he would have just been like, shit, yeah, I'm in a time machine. Oh my God, how am I going to get back? They could have like the same narrative, same everything, just less of they haven't built my house yet. What's going on? Like, no shit, dude. It's 30 years ago. Like <laughs> just figure it out. But yeah. you said, uh, the thing you said about Darth Vader, I always love that as well. But the one thing, I don't know if you caught it or not, but he says Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. That's a star uh-huh. Trek reference. <laughs> yeah. So the, the cool thing is they referenced cause everybody's either, do you like star Trek or star Wars? You know, they always have that war going on, but they referenced both. And I think that was a very smart way to do it. So you didn't piss off either faction of fans. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I will admit that I have not watched any of the star Trek things. I am definitely a star Wars person, but it's, Oh, not- I am too. I mean, I've watched both, but I'm more of a star Wars guy. Believe me. Yeah, it's like if someone wants to come on the podcast and talk about Star Trek, I'd probably watch some. I I don't think <laughs> yeah. I would do the shows at this point because that's that's too much. But yeah. it's one of those things where I know there's quite a few movies and it's just something I never got into because I ended up getting into Star Wars, I think. So, you know, I I get that for sure, but yeah, I was like when he said that I was like that's not the planet, so that's definitely not a Star Wars reference. Yeah. And I've heard that name, that planet name a few times. So I was like, okay, you know, they're, they're mixing it up. I think that's where, that's where Spock, you know, cause I mean, even if you don't know Star Trek, Spock's yeah. got the pointy ears. Yep. I think Vulcan, I mean, I'm not an expert on Star Trek, but Vulcan, I believe is the planet that Spock is from. Yeah. And because his dad was into science fiction stuff and it was just kind of like the perfect nod to those two big space opera science fiction kind of properties and especially given the time period you're just like yep that fits in perfectly and it wasn't forced either which i like it when they make these little nods to other pop culture properties and it's not like this weird force thing and you're just like why are you doing this instead (laughs) you're like yes that makes perfect sense well, in the tape that he put into the to the Walkman also said <laughs> Edward Van Halen. Yep. <laughs> which I always thought that was weird and I'm sure it's I, I don't I think maybe I've just missed it if somebody explained it, but I would have thought it would have been a much like it would have been it made more sense if it said Van Halen like the band because I didn't realize that you could just get a tape of Eddie Van Halen playing guitar solos. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. I don't know. A nice nod to Eddie Van Halen who just actually passed away recently. Right. Yeah. That was kind of bizarre seeing that. I was like, oh, wow. What timing on my part. Yeah. 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 This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series about how they died, why they died. And while we're still talking about them so long after... It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now that feeling that feeling is coming soon from crowd network just search for death of a rock star on your podcast app and subscribe now
So what's the next topic you wanted to discuss? <laughs> I think we can sort of dive into the little twist at the end when he gets back because it's not super long. And before we dive into that, I do agree with you that, you know, they probably could have cut like five or 10 minutes out of this movie if they got rid of the whole I'm confused why I'm in the past bit and just gone straight into him being like, I need to find Doc Brown. That would have been much more effective. Like I said, there was no real reason. I can see him being in shock and like, wow, I'm the first person to time travel and blah, blah, blah. But the whole like not understanding for 10 minutes and then realizing he needs to find Doc Brown. Like, yeah, he still could have gotten hit by the car and gone to his mom's and the whole deal. But right out of the gate when he saw that his house didn't exist yet. Yeah. He should have been like, shit. Doc Brown's alive. I need to go find him, you know? Right. Yeah. And plus he, he was listening and paying attention. The day he went to was the day doc fell off the toilet, hanging his clock and he had the vision for the flux capacitor. So like there was more information that Marty could have drawn from that he didn't. And I think it was just because they were spoon feeding the crowd. Hey, this is what's going on. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah. Or they just wanted to be like, here's a stupid high schooler, <laughs> you know, well, as, I mean, as they that's tend true to do. Too. <laughs> Believe, believe me, I, I teach kids guitar for a living and they, <laughs> they're not, they don't always have the common sense you would think they would have. So maybe in 1985, it was even less. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And when he gets back, he obviously knows that he's, well, it takes him a minute to realize that he's back because he wakes up and he's kind of like, what's going on? And then he starts to hear voices, familiar voices, and he, you know, leaves his room and the house is all different. His parents are obviously much better off. It seems like they're in the same house, though, which is a little strange because if they were that much better off. It's the same house, but the house looks way more modern and yeah. nice on the yeah. inside. My favorite part of that whole thing, and this is like so weird and random but he comes out and his brother has a suit on and at the beginning of the movie his brother was catching a bus to go work at mcdonald's right so he comes out and he's like hey marty he's like, hey dave what are you wearing he goes i always wear a suit to the office it's like everything in his world is completely better changed for the better even his brother's job yeah and obviously what i guess happened is they bought the same modest house in this new neighborhood back in you know maybe late 50s is probably when they would have finished building those and yeah. they built a better life from there so the house didn't look quite as run down and you know it's still a nice house there's nothing wrong with the size of the house or anything obviously it's big enough for them to have three kids there that's one thing we have to talk about as well though because in the first 1985, mm -hmm. when they all lived there and Dave worked at McDonald's and everything, I understand having two adult children still living with you and then your kid in high school living with you. But in the new 1985, where Dave is wearing an, a suit to the office, why is he still living with his parents? <laughs> or is he just there for breakfast? You know, who knows? <laughs> True. I mean, they don't really go into that. So it still seems like it's the same setup, but life is better. But Marty's sister and brother are out of high school. Right. And I don't understand why they're still all living at the house. But I mean, maybe they are just there for breakfast. They love each other. Who knows? As someone who is currently living with my parents, it happens. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I don't wear well, a suit to mean, an office, though. <laughs> is your dad a best-selling science fiction author? No. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, it, it was one of those things where, again, you kind of overlook these little weird things because you're like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. It It's the family, you know, and things are different. And then, you know, Marty opens the garage and he has this nice truck and Biff is the one waxing the vehicles, which I think is the funniest change for this, you know, new present day because... Yeah. We see in the 50s how much of a complete jerk Biff is. And even though the events change to where George finally stands up for himself and stands up for Lorraine, you still have this outcome where the two of them end up together, but it drastically changes everyone's lives just because Marty kind of interfered without too drastically changing the future like the people still end up with who they're supposed to end up with but the circumstances change yeah and I, I i've always just thought it was hilarious that like biff was the biggest prick you've ever met in your life 
he gets laid out one time by George McFly. And he's this little wussy dude now that <laughs> here's your, here's your new book, Mr. McFly. Like, it's just, I love the fact that it happened in the movie and it's very enjoyable, but I just don't getting, getting knocked out one time doesn't change your whole personality. No, I'm kind of wondering if maybe George standing up to him and, you know, the, the crowd kind of rushes over at the car and they see that it's Biff. And I think maybe the humiliation Everyone yeah. kind of turned on him, and then he kind of ended up having a similar life to what George originally had. I, I, there is another thing that we can't kind of gloss over: the the Forrest Gump aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Like when Marty plays Johnny Be Good, and he's like, "Chuck, this is your cousin Marvin Barry. You know that new sound you're looking for? Listen, it's like Marty influences everything." Yeah. Everything in the 50s. I, I love it. And my friends and I used to call that the Forrest Gump thing because, you know, Forrest Gump influenced mm -hmm. like he make he wipes his shirt, his face with his shirt. And then there's the smiley face on the shirt. Like, I just I love the fact that they don't go into depth about that. They don't go into like, you know, Marty has all this money because he wrote Johnny Be Good. It's just like he by chance, Chuck Berry's cousin was in that band that was at the dance. <laughs> yeah. By chance. And then you have that moment where Marty just goes all out. And then by the time he's done with the song, every, everyone has stopped dancing and is just staring at him and is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe you guys aren't ready for that one, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> we used to recite it, man. I, I I probably know every line to the movie, which I'm not like super proud of, but <laughs> my friends and I could probably recite the entire thing. Now we all know what Chris spends his extra time doing. Yeah, yeah. Watching Back to the Future religiously. It really does feel like it's one of those movies where if you love the movie, you tend to watch it multiple times. And a lot of Star Wars fans are the same way. I'm not someone who rewatches things a ton, but I've been doing that more lately, whether it's for the podcast or I started a YouTube channel. So I've been talking about some of the Marvel movies and stuff like that. And it is something that you kind of can find comfort in because you're like, I know I love this thing. So instead yeah. of watching new things that you're uncertain about all the time, you can return to these things that you really enjoy. And Back to the Future really feels like it's one of those movies for a lot of people. I don't really think I've ever heard anyone say they flat out don't like it in some capacity. Yeah. I mean, I think that when I say for me, it's a perfect movie. It has so much nostalgia and it has so much like, you know, I remember when I was young, even after it came out on VHS, you know, we'd go to the video store and my dad loved it and we always watched it together. And there's, there are movies like that that kind of transport you back to being young. And it's definitely one of those movies. Even last night, I hadn't seen it for a while. I mean, it, it always kind of lives somewhere in my brain, <laughs> but I turned on Netflix last night and I watched it and I was picking up on things that I'd forgotten, like different lines. And, and I remember like the, the guy that, uh, mayor Goldie Wilson, you know, like <laughs> they do that thing. And I remember my friends and I like saying that and just, it really did. Like, it's one of those movies where no matter how many times I've seen it. it okay. Here's what it is. And my wife and I talk about this all the time. If it's on TV, like on USA network or some stupid cable network, even though I own the Blu-ray and I have Netflix, I will watch it on TV just because it catches my eye and I know how much I love it. Yeah. And that's the weird that you would think like I own it. I could watch an unedited version with no commercials, but I would rather watch it just because, oh, Back to the Future's on. Boom. And then I just sit there and watch it. And there's a lot of movies like that for me. And when you wanted me to come on here and you're like, what do you want to talk about? And this was, this was the movie. You know, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. We need to talk about, we need to talk about his relationship with his parents in the fifties. Yeah. yeah. Because have you ever thought maybe before this movie or even after this movie, if you could go back to when your parents were in high school and actually interact with your parents, do you think you would like, you would like them? You would want to be their friend? Like, Think about that. Like, give me give me your answer for that. I think it's a very interesting thing because right off the bat, you have 
that whole bit with Marty and Lorraine where she's obviously very infatuated with him. And I think that changes the whole dynamic because Marty very much so wants to get away from his mother. (laughs) And he's kind of budding up to his father in order to get him in, you know, Lorraine's scope there so that the two of them can end up together. And I don't know, like, a ton about what my parents were like in high school. I, I know like broad strokes and I don't know. It's it's hard to say because, you know, in a lot of ways now, I'm a lot like my mom. We both love reading. You know, you can see the, the massive bookshelves behind me and that's only three <laughs> of five in this room. Yeah. And, you know, so I think it's hard because I would have had things in common with both of them, but like they didn't go to high school together. Yeah. So I think that's something that felt a lot more common for the 50s in particular, where it's like you go to high school, you sort of marry your high school sweetheart. And that was very much not how it was, I don't think, when my parents were in high school. Yeah. So I think it's, it's you, kind of hard you hit to on tell. Something. You hit on something right there. I think that maybe this movie wouldn't be as, I guess, believable is not the right word, but back in the 80s your parents probably did meet in the same town or meet in the same high school. And nowadays, I mean, my wife and I didn't go to high school together. Right. You know, like, like I, I think maybe it was a little bit more of the norm to kind of marry your high school sweetheart. So I think that kind of almost cements the movie as a, a classic movie because that doesn't happen all the time anymore. Right? Yeah. Cause my parents went to different high schools. They met, much later. So it's a very different dynamic. So yeah. if I ended up at the same high school as one of them, I wouldn't have even known the other one. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it, you don't really know what that's like for other time periods. And I think the 50s and 60s were very much a different time even than the 80s, because obviously Marty goes to the same high school that his parents went to. But this also has a very small town feeling to it. You know, my parents went to high school in Orange County, California, so (laughs) very, very big place. (laughs) Well, see, and I think that's something that I didn't even really pick up on because, you know, I'm from Indiana. I I, I lived in other places. I've been to California and everything, but I, I live here. And when I was going to high school, I had 82 kids in my graduating class. So, like, I knew everyone in my class. I had 600 ish. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. My my wife grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and she had like a thousand. So that's the thing. Like for me, when I watch this, I'm like, oh yeah, you, you go to the high school your parents went to and you do this and you do that. And, and I mean, cause my mom and dad went to the same high school. I went to a high school in a town over. So it's kind of the same thing. Right. But it just, I guess I've never really dissected that aspect of it, but somebody that did grow up in Orange County or that grew up in a metro area where it's a lot different, the schools are bigger. I can see that dichotomy there. And I never picked up on that because I went to a farm school out in the middle of a (laughs) cornfield. And obviously where Marty's house was kind of looks like it used to be a (laughs) cornfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, a lot of Orange County used to be orange groves at one point in time. So I'm sure it was like that maybe back in the 50s and 60s, but by the time the 80s rolled around, it was very much more built up. And so it's just, like you said, a totally different thing. And I think that's very interesting, though, because then this story wouldn't have worked as well as it did. It wouldn't have made as much of an impact if this had taken place, you know, say the 2000s and just going back to the 80s. It still would have been a very similar feel between the 80s and the 2000s, I think, in a lot of areas. Maybe in small towns, it's still that way today, but it seems to be fewer and far between. I feel like, and I mean, this might be totally off base, but I feel like when they were choosing what time periods they were going to focus on, the 30-year thing kind of makes sense because then, you know, your parents are in their late 40s, early 50s, whatever. So... I think it makes sense because there's a definite change in dress and everything from the fifties to the eighties. Yeah. And like you, like you just said, from the eighties to the two thousands, there are some differences, but I think if you dress like somebody in the eighties in 2003, nobody's going to give a shit. 
Right. So, yeah. I mean, if you're from the 80s and you go back to the 50s, there's such a nostalgia and such like a almost like just when I say 1955, you get visions in your head of what that is. Right. With the diner and with all the stuff. So there's such a difference in the 50s to the 80s. I think that was actually that's almost like another character in the movie. Yeah. The fact that it's so different and he's got his, you know, his sleeveless vest on and like, hey, did you did you jump ship? Why you got the life preserver on? Like, that's yeah, that's such a good thing to like. I would if he was wearing that in 2019, I wouldn't think he was a sailor. But in, in 1955, they do, you know, like, right. I love that whole aspect of it. Even musically, there was a huge shift between the 50s and the 80s because things are definitely more wild and more acceptable. Like, you know, they're not shooting people from just the hips up anymore in the 80s. But from the 80s to the 2000s, you still have a lot of music, especially these days, that has synth in it. You have a lot of these elements that were taken from the 80s, and they don't necessarily sound too drastically different. You know, guitars are just as loud now, if not even louder in some instances. But from the 50s to the 80s, there was just such a shift that it makes this whole thing come together really well. Because even just the fact that Marty is wearing jeans in the 50s, you know, most people were sort of in just like slacks or, you know, their suits. And nobody really had an understanding of what he was wearing even and you look at what he was wearing and it's not like it was super 80s yeah it was just normal stuff yeah i mean i my my wife makes fun of me because i still wear band shirts and stuff like i still dress like i'm in eighth grade and like when i see what marty's wearing and i I, it's kind of funny when he's got like the tucked in shirt and like the vest and everything like i think that's kind of 80s yeah but it it's something that someone would wear now it's not it's like a long sleeve shirt with a vest. It's not like something yeah. wild. <laughs> well, and and going back to the 50s thing, I do think that there's something about, you know, even like Norman Rockwell paintings or whatever. It's like the 50s is this thing that people look at as the last great time in America. Like it was safe to leave your door unlocked. And it was just, it was almost like this utopia <laughs> time period which i mean it probably wasn't but probably in downtown detroit in 1955 it wasn't a utopia right but people look at the 50s as being that way and people look at the 80s as you know ronald reagan aids you know like iran contra like all this different stuff so i can see there is a major dichotomy between the sweet kind of happy times of the 50s and then the 80s and then if you go further into the sequels they go into the future 2015 which looks way different than it really looked in 2015 and then if they they on the third one they go back to 1885 to where they tackle the old west so i love the way that they kind of take these iconic time periods and each movie kind of has a different vibe that is one one thing that's really good about the sequels other than the future one because as we all know, it's 2020 and we don't have flying cars. So, <laughs> right. you know, but they do, they have this thing. I, I think it's cool in the second one. He's walking around downtown. It's 2015. And he goes into this place called the Cafe 80s. And they have like, you know, arcade games and they, have, yeah. <laughs> you got to watch the second one. You'll, you'll totally, it makes sense with this whole like time period thing we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's on the list to watch the other two this week. This week being Christmas week, it's 2021 by the time everyone is hearing this. But I think these are just fun movies to kind of give yourself a break from yeah. things too. Because I watch a lot of movies for this podcast. I just went through and I watched six seasons of Lost. That was a lot. Ooh. So Back to the Future after Lost is like very nice. <laughs> you know, it's not making me think too terribly much. But when you sit... Well, there's some time travel on Lost as well, you know. So much. It's way more confusing (laughs) on Lost, let me tell you. But I think just watching these older movies, it's been a goal of mine to kind of go through and see which big ones I've missed. I watched Alien recently, not for the podcast necessarily, but just because I bought it and was like, I'm going to watch this finally. And I love that. I loved watching this again. I loved when I 
eventually watched Jaws. You know, I had waited a while to do that for whatever reason, and that's probably one I'll revisit. Same with this. I could see myself revisiting this one, not necessarily every year, but probably every few years or something, because like I said, I'm kind of getting to a point where I just want something I know I'm going to enjoy, and I don't want to sit through something and be like, oh, no, here we go. I don't know if I'm going to like this. I mean, I host a Stephen King podcast where I've watched a lot of bad movies because I'm doing all the movies, the books, the TV shows, and there's there's a lot more bad than there is good with those more often than not. Well, if you become a Back to the Future super fan, there is there is fan fiction. There okay. is an, an animated... Uh, fourth installment of the movie that somebody cut together from the video game animation that was okay. out in the eighties. And it tells, it tells more of Doc's story. It tells a lot of stuff, but if you really get into it, which you might like me, there is a plethora. There is a wealth of back to the future stuff that is just out there for the, for the taking, just Google it, YouTube, whatever. And I mean, there's a lot of really good special features on the DVD or the Blu-ray, if that's what you have as well. Yeah, I have the trilogy on Blu-ray now, and I did watch the deleted scenes, but there was just so much on there that I was like, I can't do this all (laughs) in one night, and I didn't get to it the next day. But yeah, there's a ton of stuff. I think there's like a whole documentary on there too, maybe, because I think the edition that I bought might have been the 25th anniversary one. So I know that one had like a ton of extra extras, you know, and there might even be like a whole full disc of extras. That's how many they put on there. But yeah, I plan to dive into two and three. But is there anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up here? Well, I will tell you, if you watch the second one, uh, Crispin Glover, who I loved everything he's ever done. I think he's a brilliant actor. I think he's kind of a weird guy, but I mean, most (laughs) brilliant actors are weird guys. So uh, on the second Back to the Future, they they're in the future, and he I guess he's got a hurt back. He's an old guy now, and he's hanging upside down by this little thing that's carrying him around because he's trying to like get his back right. And it sounds like Crispin Glover, and it looks like Crispin Glover, but it is not Crispin Crispin Glover because they couldn't come to an agreement on money, so he wasn't going to be in the second one. But they used his likeness with a different actor and he sued them and he made a shit ton of money. Wow. So he's not in the second one, even though everyone thinks it's him. It's not him. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, I've definitely seen him in other stuff and he's always, he's like good weird. He's not like bad weird. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you've ever seen Willard, the, the, where that movie is in about all the rats. You need to watch that. Okay. I have not seen that. I think I've seen him most recently in American Gods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Which that he's whole show in, is weird. So <laughs> he's in some movie that I watched recently, and I'm, uh, it sucks that I can't remember the name of it. I think it's River's Edge. It's uh, a movie from the 80s. It was before Back to the Future, I think maybe 83, 84. And it's, uh, it's got a really good heavy metal soundtrack. And it's about this guy like kills this girl by the river's edge, and then they have to try to cover it up. It's, it's kind of a B movie. It's, it's not the best quality, but he's yeah. in it and he's really, really cool in the movie. He's like a punk rock kid in the movie. Yeah. He's just popped up in so many things over the years. You're like, oh yeah, this guy <laughs> every time you see him. <laughs> but no, I'm just, I'm so excited that you had me on to talk about it. I love this movie. I mean, I knew I loved the movie, but when I was like actually thinking about, oh, I have to talk about this movie tomorrow. Yeah. It cemented in my mind that this is like a staple in my life. And I don't know if I would... It's weird to say this, but I, I'm a big pop culture guy. Movies mean everything to me. Music is my life. So I kind of see that as hand in hand, you know, and this movie changed me. I don't know if I would have the same personality or anything if I didn't see this movie. Like the jokes have been with me forever. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. And I love talking about it with you. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, I gave this, I think, a four and a half out of five. So it's definitely like a really fun movie that I really enjoyed. I don't give five out of fives too terribly often just because I feel like if I start giving everything that I'm going to be like, I have too many favorites. (laughs) Well, it's just like people that use the word amazing. I'm like, use it sparingly. (laughs) Use it when it means amazing. Yeah. So real, real quick though, what's the last five out of five you gave? Okay, I gave a five to Paddington 2 because I really loved Paddington 2 for some reason. 
See, I've never, I've never seen it. <laughs> You're talking about Paddington Bear? Yeah. So I did an episode with my friend that actually came out the day we're recording this. We did the two Paddington movies. And I had had absolutely no attachment to Paddington at all. He wasn't someone I grew up with as a kid. I was a very much a Scooby-Doo kid. But yeah, yeah. there was something about the movie. And I don't know if it's just because I don't watch comedic movies too often. But it's like that and this are the last two things I've watched. And it was just like a great combination <laughs> between, you know, getting these fun moments that, you know, because like I said, I host a Stephen King podcast. So a lot of the times I'm watching these tense horror thriller kind of movies, you know, Shawshank is great, but it's not exactly an easy watch, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. to get these two movies just kind of at the end of the year here, I was like, you know what? I really, really liked Paddington 2. Do you know, just a smidge more than the first one. But I think before that, honestly, it might have been like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I haven't seen that yet, but it looks really good. I, I know that's a pretty good movie. Yeah, that's one I think I might want to rewatch like every year because it was just so well done. And it just so happens that those two things involve animated characters, obviously. You know, Paddington is not a real bear in a movie, but it was just something about it. I was just like, you know what? They really nailed these movies. And we talked about some of the plot holes with Back to the Future. And I think that's kind of one of the only things holding me back from giving it a five out of five. I just had a few too many questions, but I still had a ton of fun with it. Well, I tell you what, Paddington, if it if he had a, a Post Malone song on the soundtrack like Spider-Verse, then it would be five out of five for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty fun. You know, that you have in the first one, you have like Nicole Kidman as the villain. And then the second one, you have Hugh Grant as the villain. And it, <laughs> yeah. it's just a ton of fun. And obviously, you know, Clearly, I like movies that aren't exactly made for me, but they are definitely yeah. made for me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's we. Wa I watched. Uh, what did I watch? I watched The Grinch with my kids the other night, and I had never seen The Grinch, and I loved it. Thought Jim Carrey was awesome. Like I just, I skip over stuff sometimes. Like I think I'm a movie buff, but then people are like, "Have you seen this?" I'm like, "No, I haven't," because I have like this stable of ten movies that I watch over and over and over again. You know. Well, I imagine you'll be watching more kids movies in the future and yeah, you know we, we've done all the toy stories we've done love uh, those we've done all finding nemo finding dory all that different stuff so yeah we're starting into that my kids love youtube they they're that kind of like quick yeah. cut you know thing we were talking about earlier but uh yeah they're starting to get into movies we still haven't made it all the way through frozen but they like frozen <laughs> So uh, I, I think that's that's the new thing. They're starting to get... We have Disney Plus now, so they can watch whatever they want. <laughs> Me too. So I can yeah. watch whatever I want. <laughs> but yeah, Chris, thank you so much for coming on to discuss this one. I will definitely keep you updated on two and three as I watch them. Well, when you watch two and three, let me come back and we'll talk about two and three. Yeah. You are more than welcome to. <laughs> awesome. Well, no, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to talk about movies or something, let me know. And everybody should check out my podcast too. Yes, I will link to that in the show notes. Check it out. If you love music, you will certainly find some guests to enjoy <laughs> on the podcast. And, you know, nobody's really been touring lately, but you still yeah. have the podcast to talk about that one time on tour. <laughs> yeah, you can reminisce about when the pandemic wasn't here and we could all be in vans and playing gigs, you know. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Chris. You got it. I'll talk to you very soon. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was my conversation with Deanna Chapman from the Welcome to Geekdom podcast at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. It's on all of the podcast catchers, so just search for Welcome to Geekdom. So thank you so much for checking out this bonus episode where we shot the shit about Back to the Future. In my opinion, uh, just a, a masterpiece of a film. I, I celebrate the entire trilogy. I will say number one is my favorite. Uh, number three is probably my second favorite. And then number two is my third. I always felt like the second one was like a big commercial for the third one. But uh, overall, stellar, stellar trio of films. So I hope you guys are doing well. 
I do have a new episode coming out this week on Thursday where I will sit down with my buddy, Mr. Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake. Uh, he also has a podcast called Chris DeMakes, a podcast where uh, they discuss songwriting. So check that out and do some research before Chris is on the show on Thursday. I love you guys and gals. Have a wonderful week. Wash your hands, wear your masks, stay healthy, stay safe. This is your favorite podcast host, Mr. Christopher Swinney. And I will see you on Thursday with a brand new episode. Peace. Hey, this is Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propaganda. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi. This is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love or want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast <laughs>